somebody name that song? Christ alone. Thank you, Miss Wendy, playing my favorite song. Well, this morning we'll be in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 15. Once you find that passage of Scripture, if you wouldn't mind just standing as we read God's Word together. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 15 says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, this is my prayer this morning, that your word, God, would come alive to us by your spirit working in us, and we would see the beauties and glories contained in it, God, and that from it we would respond in worship to Jesus and seeking to make his name known among all the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. May be seated. So for a while now, I've been giving you my C-minus sermons. But this morning, I've brought you an A-plus one that I've been having in my back pocket for a while, or that I downloaded from the internet yesterday. But uh, in all honesty, I am honored to have the opportunity to preach in view of a call here at Cross Point Baptist Church. Uh, I can't tell you what uh, this church means to me and my family and how much I love the church family here and how much my family loves being a part of this church family. Um, and regardless of what happens today, none of that will change about how much I love this church family. We love this body and we desire to serve this body in whatever capacity that may be. And regardless of what happens today, whether or not my title changes or not, is that my passion and my longing for myself, for my family, for a cross point does not change or falter or alter. Is that my desire for myself, for my wife, for my boys, and for this church family is that is that we would know God through the scriptures better. That's my, that's my desire. Is that we would know God through the scriptures. And by knowing God through the scriptures, we would have a greater longing and desire and motivation to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. So regardless of what happens today, is that passion and that desire for that I have for 
you will not change. And so this is the reason why I've chosen this text of scripture that we have here today, Psalm 19. Is that I hope that that by reading this text and thinking through it is that it would stir in us. And, and it would give us a better picture of the beauties and the glories contained in this word. And that in response to the beauty of God's word is that our lives would be aimed at valuing it above all things by reading it, studying it, understanding it, obeying it, and fulfilling the great commission in which it commands us to do. All for the glory of God. So here's the main point this morning. Very simple. The beauty of God's word should stir us to treasure it and obey it for the glory of God. And so we're going to look at two points this morning. Two very simple things about God's word. The beauty of God's word and the response to God's word. Look at verses 7 through 10. And we're going to look at through here the beauty of God's word. And, and let me just begin by asking you this. Do any of you have something uh, that's really special to you that doesn't have any monetary value to it? But its significance to you is immeasurable. It may not have any monetary value. You may couldn't sell it, you couldn't sell it for a penny, but you wouldn't want to because it's that valuable. One of the things that comes to my mind is uh, if you go into my office and look on my bookshelf is that uh, my mom gave me this uh, many years back after my grandfather died, but my, my grandfather's glasses are in a case on my, on, on my uh, bookshelf. And you couldn't sell my grandfather's glasses for a dollar. And he probably didn't even buy them for a dollar. That's how cheap they looked. But the value, value is incalculable to me. Because just to think of what my grandfather saw looking through those glasses, nobody could buy that. But they have no monetary value. Because of their significance to me. And let me just say this, is that this also applies to the Bible, is that the value of an object doesn't always come from, from what it appraises for. It's not where its value comes from. With the scriptures, its value is derived from its author, its ultimate author, that being God himself. And its value comes from the obedience and the godliness it produces in the life of the person who devotes themselves to reading and studying and obeying this word. That's where its value comes from. Not from so how much you can sell it for, but from the one who wrote the book. That being God himself. And so this, this is what the psalmist wants to delve into. Seeing the beauties and the glories of this word. And this is what he begins by saying, is that its beauty and its value comes from who wrote it. Look at what it says. You'll see over and over again in verses 7 through 9 that you'll see the law of the Lord, the, the testimony of the Lord, precepts of, of the Lord. But that phrase, that prepositional phrase, of the what? Of the Lord. He's making it very clear that everything that he is talking about comes from one author, 
one person, that being God himself. And that is where these scriptures find their value. That is where they find their meaning and significance. It's from the author himself. These words are from God, and that is the most important thing about them, is that they come from God, they derive from God, and they are his revelation of himself. Many, many books and magazines and articles in this world, sure, they're significant, sure, they're informative, maybe even good, and maybe even some are inspirational, right? But only one book is perfectly good. Only one book is authoritative. Only one book is truly inspired. And that is God's word. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. 1 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures, their importance and their value and their significance is derived from this. They are from the Lord himself. And then the psalmist goes on to say, they're not just from the Lord, but there's also different aspects about this book, this Bible, these scriptures. And so he's going to use numerous synonyms, uh, in a sense, to describe and highlight the different features of the Bible. Right? He says this word is law testimony, precepts, commandments, the fear of the Lord, rules, all these things talking about the same thing, the Bible, the scriptures, and all these things contribute to this. And so God's word isn't just laws and rules as we may think kind of in today. Oh, it's just a bunch of, a book of, a bunch of rules and laws. No, the psalmist says it's much more than that. It's testimony. It's precepts, it's commandments, it's fear of the Lord, it is wisdom for us. And all these, the different aspects of this word, all these are given to reveal God's glory. So we look, we look from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. There's lots of different types of literature, genres in here. We have, we have stories, and we have proverbs, and we have psalms, and we have gospels, and we have acts, we have all these different things. And all these are from the Lord, and all these are Scripture. That's what this is. But then he goes on to describe, not only are they from the Lord, not only are there different, different types of things in here in the Scriptures, but he also talks about what is it? What is it? What, what is its nature? And then he goes on to describe and give these characteristics of what the scriptures are. The scriptures are perfect. The scriptures are sure. The scriptures are right. The scriptures are pure. They're clean. They're true and righteous. That's what they are. All these things. God's word is perfection in a world full of imperfection. God's word is sure in a world full of instability. God's word is right in a world gone wrong. God's word is pure in a world where everything is stained. God's word is clean in a world of corruption. God's word is true in a world of fallacy. And God's word is righteous in a world of unrighteousness. That is God's word. This is its character. This is its nature. This is what it's like. And 
the reason it's like this, the reason that it's pure and clean and righteous and sure and all these things, the reason that this is the nature of the Bible is because it's this. It is a reflection of the God who wrote it. Why is the Bible pure and clean and sure and right and all these things? Because God is pure and clean and right and sure and true. The one who wrote it shows his attributes and his character in the things that he writes. You can expect that because God is all these things that his words would be the same. Right? But here's what the word does for us. It's not only from God, it's not only has particular characteristics and traits about it, but it does something for the person who reads it. Look at what it does. It revives the soul. What the psalmist says. It revives the soul. God uses His Word to restore, refresh, and revive the one who reads it. By God's Spirit at work in us, the Scriptures sustain the believer in trial and tribulation. And no better part in story do we see that than in Jesus' own trial and temptation by Satan in the wilderness, if you remember that story. Is that Satan comes and he tempts, he tempts Jesus to give in. But what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. And the first scripture that he quotes is from Deuteronomy 8, and he says this, Man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. God uses His Word to revive and restore and refresh and sustain us. But not only that, is that He uses His Word to make wise the simple. Anybody simple in here? It's not like I'm a simple man, I don't, I don't need a lot of luxuries. It's that we don't know very much and we need God's Word to make us wise. Because we're not wise on our own. It makes us wise and it enlightens our eyes. The scriptures are the source and the fountain of wisdom. It opens up our eyes to see true reality because we don't see it on our own. We see our own reality. It makes us understand and wise to things. Again, think of what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Is that if you remember the story in the garden, is that in the garden they were told about this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that they desired it to make them wise. Right? But now, as one author has put this, now here. The psalmist is using similar language to what he uses in Genesis 2 and 3 to say, the scriptures, they are the object now that makes one wise and opens up one's eyes. Not only that, it refreshes us, it makes us wise and opens up our eyes, but it also it rejoices the heart and makes us glad. The Bible hasn't been given to us to bury us and burden us underneath its laws and regulations. That's not why God gave us the Bible. It's not. For the Christian, for somebody who's been transformed by the grace of Jesus, the scriptures are intended to bring us great joy and satisfaction and delight by reading it. Psalm 1-2, and if you ever come to my office, you'll see this outside, uh, right before my 
you enter my door, Psalm 1-2. It's talking about the blessed man. And it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The Bible is intended to bring us joy, make our hearts glad, right? And then lastly, this word, these scriptures, they endure forever. We watch homes and we watch cars and we watch gifts. We we watch things break down. We even watch people fade away. In a world of momentary things, we have God's word that is permanent, fixed, and established, and unfading. This is what Isaiah said, Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, can you remember? Endures forever, stands forever. In a world of momentary things, we have God's word fixed forever. And so what do we need to do with this word? These scriptures that we have. So we know that they're from God, and we know that there's different, different things contained in this word, and we know what it does. It refreshes us, it, it makes us glad, gives our hearts joy, and things like that, and endures forever. So what do we do now with it? Well, the psalmist says this, you are to treasure it. Treasure it. This is verse 10. He says, think about this. It's more to be desired than gold and than honey. We are to treasure this word that we have. Uh, um, I was looking at this a couple weeks ago, but uh, the San Jose was a um, was a Spanish ship that sunk in in the 1700s, and um, and was known for for uh, carrying a lot of goods and a lot of things. So people have been searching for it, and it was finally found in 2015 uh, outside of. Um, Columbia, I believe, and um, they, they thought, uh, they knew that it had some treasure on it, but they didn't know it had this. Uh, it is worth now $22 billion of gold that is on there, sunk at the bottom of the sea. It's actually the most valuable deep sea um, treasure trove that's ever been discovered. And you know what the psalmist would say? San Jose doesn't hold a candle to what we have in this word. It doesn't hold a candle to what is contained in God's word. It is more to be desired than gold and silver and anything that can, that can uh, just thrill your taste buds. The tastiest of things can't hold a candle to what is in God's word. The treasure trove of the San Jose compares nothing to the treasure trove that's in God's word. It's priceless. It's value. The value in this word is not measured by dimes and dollars, by silver and gold, by tasty foods. It's measured by the message that it communicates, the truth and wisdom it imparts that we so desperately need. And so this is how the psalmist describes the word. This is how the psalmist describes scripture. And so let me ask us a question. How does the psalmist's description of the scriptures confront your own view of and approach to the scriptures? Do you have the same view of the Bible as the psalmist does here? Because how can one read 
read what the psalmist says here and say, man, the Bible is boring. Man, the Bible is so antiquated and irrelevant. It has nothing to do with my life. How can one read this psalm and say that? Oh, it just doesn't give me anything. I, can, I, I don't really need it. I, I can get it from somewhere else. It's just boring every time I read it. You know, I just I, I get bored of tears. And I fall asleep and things like that. Let me, let me just ask us a question. If this is our attitude towards Scripture, that it's boring, maybe the problem isn't with the Scripture, and maybe the problem is with us. But we never like to consider that, right? The problem is always with something else. It's always with someone else. But maybe if this is truly God's Word from the Lord, and it refreshes, and it revives, and it makes the heart glad, and rejoices the heart, maybe, just maybe, the problem isn't with this, and it's with this. Consider that. Is your view of Scripture the same as the psalmist? And and let me give a piece of application just for parents in here. Parents, would our children, and do our children say, My parents really do value the Bible. They really do value the Bible. Because our children are only going to value the Bible and God's Word as much as we do. And the only way that they're going to see that we value God's Word is if we're actually reading God's Word. The only way they're going to see that. And so, let, let me just give you If you want to love the Bible more, if you want to love Scripture more, it's not going to come by you not reading it. The only way that you're going to love the Bible more and have the same view that the psalmist has of the Scriptures is that if you're constantly reading it. So read the Bible. Read the Bible at the dinner table. Read the Bible at night before bed. Read the Bible in the morning over breakfast. Read the Bible when your your child comes to you scared or happy or nervous about something. Read the Bible. Read the Bible as a hobby. Listen to the Bible in the car. Read the Bible as a spiritual discipline. Read the Bible over your baby that's in bed. They can't go anywhere. Just read the Bible. They can't go nowhere. They're trapped. They're in baby prison. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. You're at a doctor's appointment. You're at a DMV, the DMV, and you know that you're going to be there for two weeks. You, you could scroll through uh, Instabook or TickGram or whatever, you know, any of those things. You can do those. Or you could read the Bible. The only way that we're going to love the Bible more is by reading the Bible. And so the nature of God's Word, because of what everything that we've read, what it is and who it's from, is that it requires a response by the reader of God's Word. And that's point number two is this. The beauty of God's Word requires a response to God's Word. You know, we respond differently to different situations and things that happen in our lives. And there are right and wrong responses to different things. You know, you respond differently to a piece of junk mail that you get in your mailbox versus the ultrasound picture of your first child. You know, if, uh, if you swap those, 
Uh, you know, you, you get the junk mail, and you're like, oh, this is so beautiful. I love this. I love this. Oh, it's coupons. Yeah. Yeah. And if you see your, um, the first picture of an ultrasound, and you're like, trash. <laughs> it's wrong responses, right? Is that there's a, an appropriate response to junk mail, and it's not the same response that we should have to an ultrasound picture. And so the nature of God's word actually requires an appropriate response and reaction because it's supposed to do something in us. And here are a couple of things that it's supposed to do for us and in us as God's word is that we are to be warned by God's word. Is that scripture reveals to us the dangers and the pitfalls of disobedience. It sternly, sternly warns us at times if that we continue in this pathway and trajectory of disobedience, it will not go well for us. It's warning us. And what we'll see next week in 1 Corinthians 10 is that Paul, he talks about Israel's history. And he says, these things happen for an example, but they've been written down for you so that you would be instructed by them. Meaning, the reason they wrote these things down and what happened to Israel in their rebellion is so that you would read them and not do the same thing. Bible is to warn us that if we continue on this pathway forward, it will be dangerous for us. But not only that, we are to be warned by Scripture, but we're also we're to be guarded by it. And this is why the psalmist says here, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So he's just talked about being warned by it. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Now, by keeping them, you're guarding yourself from things. We are guarded by Scripture when we read it. Is that we're able to discern errors in our own lives and in the world around us? Is that it's like looking in the mirror? And we've I've used this illustration with you before. Is that sometimes you look in the mirror in the morning and you're like, golly, whoa, that's terrible looking. Or if you're like me, you're like, whoa, my wife has been blessed and highly favored to wake up to this every morning. But for the most part, when we look into the mirror of Scripture, we see our own flaws, and we need to see our own flaws. Because if we don't notice our own flaws, we will continue down the path of rebellion and disobedience. And it will be eternally dangerous for us. And so we read Scripture in order to see who we truly are. We need discernment. And it helps us to discern error. But it also helps us to rule over sin. Look at this. That the psalmist says, Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let them not take, a, take a dominion over me in the sense of rule over me. Let them not reign in this mortal body. And that is, isn't that Paul's whole thing in the book of Romans? Fighting against sin, the slavery to sin. Is that through reading scripture and meditating on it is that we are able to fight against sin. This is why the psalmist says later in Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? That's the question the psalmist says. Uh, let me ask you a question, y'all. 
How can you keep your way pure? By guarding it according to your word, is what the psalmist would say. Is that how we guard ourselves from sin and let rule over it rather than it rule over us? Is by meditating and reading and taking in God's word. So we're warned by it, we are guarded by it, but here's, here's the last thing is that through reading the Bible, we worship God by reading it. Reading the Bible is an act of worship. He says, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. What's really interesting is that this same phrase, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart, pops up in Psalm chapter 1 and also pops up in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This is kind of Moses' words and commission to Joshua. He says, says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We worship God by reading God's word, because in doing so, Our will is bent towards sin, and we come back to Scripture, and we are bending and reorienting by God's Spirit in us, reorienting reorienting and realigning our will to God's will. That's what reading the Bible does for us by God's Spirit working in us. We're reorienting it, and that it becomes an act of worship. This is why he says, be acceptable in your sight. That word, be acceptable, is a phrase that happens a lot in a book that we all love, Leviticus, and... uh, And so, in Leviticus, he talks about all these sacrifices and all these offerings that are made, and that they are acceptable in the sight of God. And so now, the psalmist is saying, he's this, your meditation on the law of the Lord is like sacrifice and worship to me. And it is acceptable and pleasing when you read it and you obey it. The act of reading, meditating, and obeying God's word is an act of worship. So when you read your Bible in the mornings, please don't just dismiss it as though, oh, it's just a check off the box. Oh, it's just, you know, just trying to, to get in one last second. It is an act of worship in and of itself to read God's Word. But also, it says a lot about us. This, our response to God's Word. Your response to God's word is ultimately your response to God. No one can say that I love God and I do not love his word. You cannot say that. that Our response to God's word is our response to God himself. And that the beauty of scripture that we talked about is directly connected with the authority of scripture is that we should recognize the beauties that are contained in this book. We should recognize that. But we should also recognize that these scriptures, they stand over us. That we are governed by them. Because they are from God. They have a governing position over us. And so we should realize that to disobey scripture is to disobey God himself. Because it is God's word. And so let me ask you this. Is your life governed by God's word? Does it stand in an authoritative position over you? 
Or has it become a book that you just appreciate but not adhere to? I appreciate God's Word. It's got some good things in there, good nuggets. But it's not in an authoritative position over you. And that reading Scripture is to assist you in fighting over sin. And let me just say this, church family. Your fight against sin that is constantly going on in this earthly life is that you will be defeated if you think that you can fight sin without God's Word. If you value godliness and holiness in your life, then you will value God's Word because you will not be able to grow in godliness apart from God's Word. So don't, don't even believe a line like this, oh, I, I can grow without God's Word. No, not possible. No sympathy from me on that. You cannot grow apart from God's Word. It would be like telling someone, run to China on a treadmill. I want you, I want you to run to China on this treadmill. You'll run fast. You might even have a good pace. Heartbeat's going to get up. But guess what? You ain't going nowhere. Only through God's word will we be sanctified and grow towards godliness. This is what Jesus told his disciples before he left them in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Is your growth and godliness stunted right now? If so, I would ask you to evaluate and see where does God's word take part in that. And that ultimately the last is this. Is that all these things are great. That God's word helps us fight against sin. It warns us. It guards us. It's an act of worship. But reading God's word should always lead us to faith in Jesus. Reading God's Word should always lead us to faith in Jesus. It should always lead us to Him. Is that if you read the Bible, because there are lots of scholars and academics in this world that love reading the Bible, they love knowing lots of things about the Bible, but they do not trust in Jesus. And I would say they have read the Bible incorrectly. Because the goal, the trajectory of the Bible, is that it would lead people to respond in faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said in John 5.46. For if you believed Moses, the law, then you would believe me, for he wrote of me. John 20.31, this is at the end of John's gospel, why he wrote the whole book of John. He says this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Reading the scriptures are an act of worship. They're meant to guard us from sin. They're meant to help us fight sin. But ultimately, they are to lead one to faith in Jesus. The scriptures are precious and pleasurable because they are the story of what the triune God is doing in the world to save sinners. The scriptures tell the story of a God who is good and perfect and creates this world to live in unity and harmony with his people. Yet his people have rejected and rebelled against him in their sin. And they have divided and distorted 
and separated themselves from the God that made them. And in so doing, we deserve death and hell and punishment for our sin. But the story of the Bible is so good. Because it's about a God who comes to us in His Son Jesus. Sent to die on our behalf to give us His righteousness. Died to be raised again on the third day gloriously to promise us a future hope of new life and new freedom. A God who has given us His Spirit to sanctify and mold us into the image of His Son. To empower us to fulfill His commission that He has given us. And this God who will one day come again, bring His people to Himself, wipe away every tear from their eye and remove pain and crying and mourning and death. And that this people who have put their faith in Christ Jesus because they have read God's Word will dwell with God and He will be their God and we will be His people forever and ever. This is the beauty of the Bible because of the story that it communicates and from the one who has communicated, that being God himself. The Bible is precious and it is pleasurable and it should be treasured by all who read it, by every follower of Jesus because it tells us of the great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Church family, take up and read. Let me pray for us. God, your word is so good. It is perfect and true and sure and righteous and good and makes us wise. It revives our hearts and souls that are so weary at times. And ultimately, God, it helps us to fight sin, but leads us to faith in the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that through reading it and through obeying it and through having faith in Christ, we would have life in Him. God, help us stir us in our hearts to love the Bible, to enjoy it, and that by reading it, we would worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite the band back up. This morning,